This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where another dark chapter in Florida history is being illuminated. The Okoe Election Day Massacre is still to this day the bloodiest day in modern American political history. You'll hear some of the disturbing details during Sunrise in Depth. The health department reports almost 10,000 new cases of coronavirus and 48 additional fatalities. We're closing in on 4,000 deaths and a quarter million confirmed cases in Florida. Miami-Dade continues to be the epicenter of Florida's outbreak, and Congresswoman Debbie McCarcel Powell blames it on the president, the governor, and the mayor of Miami-Dade. The truth is that we opened too soon. We went from phase one to phase two without really waiting that 28-day period to see a consistent drop in positive cases. We have failed at every level. Uh, the governor and uh, the county mayor had a press conference. It was the incompetent leading the incompetent. Meanwhile, the mayor of Miami is trying to figure out how to deal with that surge in COVID cases. We do need to get our numbers under control because we are seeing our hospitalization spike, our ICU spike, our ventilator spike. Everything is spiking and that could lead to a, a spike in deaths. For starters, Mayor Francis Suarez says masks should be mandatory. We'll also check out your calendar of political events and check in with a Florida church that was raided by the feds. It's our institutional version of Florida Man. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, July 9th. The state health department reports 9,989 new COVID cases, which brings the total number to 223,784. Today, we will smash right through the quarter million mark. Over the past week, Florida has added more cases than any other state, and Congresswoman Debbie McCarcel Powell says the response has been a failure at the national, state, and local level. Florida is breaking all the wrong records. We, unfortunately, have passed more than 200,000 positive cases here in the state of Florida. Miami-Dade County is now the epicenter with more than 50,000 positive cases. We, the truth is that we opened too soon. We went from phase one to phase two without really waiting that 28-day period to see a consistent drop in positive cases. We have failed at every level. Uh, the governor and uh, the county mayor had a press conference. It was the incompetent leading the incompetent, looking at each other, not being able to answer basic questions. And we know what we need to do. We have been through this pandemic now for a few months. We need to expand testing without any restrictions. We need to make sure that we have enough contact tracers. Right now in the state of Florida, um, originally we needed about 7,000. We haven't even reached the 2,000 threshold. And now it was reported that we may need um, over 10,000 contact tracers because the more positivity rates, the more contact tracing. And then we need to quarantine those positive uh, cases. And not just myself, but other congressional uh, delegates here in Florida have asked the governor to put a mask order in place for the entire state of Florida. Masks are also on the mind of Miami's mayor, who was one of the first persons in the state to be diagnosed with COVID-19 back in March. Francis Suarez says the voluntary orders and recommendations are not working. One area where I think, for example, national and state policy should unite with local policy is on wearing masks in public. You know, I think to me, um, wearing a mask in public is no different than being forced to wear a seatbelt. And, you know, I, I hear a lot of people that say it's an infringement on our liberty. You know what I mean? We should have the freedom to do as we please. And, you know, my response to that is, wait a second, this is a country of laws. And yes, you have freedom and you are free to do as you please, but you're not free to run a red light. 
You're not free to run a stop sign. You're not free to not put on a seatbelt. Right. You know, those are things that we require that we by sort of a social contract, we require sure. each other to do for the safety and protection of ourselves and others. Right. So that there's order in our society. Right. And, so, and so, me, so, so you would like to see more of a more national leadership on the mask and more state leadership on the mask issue then? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, to me, it's not a question of, of, of sort of calling anybody out per se. It's more of, 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 you know, I think that there should be a uniform policy. And I yeah. think that this is uniformly good for everyone. Right. And if, if, if all the medical experts are recommending right. it, I don't see the big difference in recommending it and mandating it, particularly when you're talking about something that is so influential in the, the increase rate. Please, please just follow the rules. If you follow the rules, uh, whether they be wearing a mask in public, washing your hands or wearing gloves, uh, or, or social distancing. I mean, these things work. That's the reason why we continually reemphasize them. And that's why they continually are reemphasized. They work and they reduce, the, 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 they reduce dramatically uh, the, the possibility of, of, of people getting infected. And we do need to get our numbers under control because we are seeing our hospitalization spike, our ICU spike, our ventilator spike. Everything is spiking and that could lead to a, a spike in deaths. School districts across the state are now trying to figure out how to reopen safely. The president, the governor, and the state education commissioner all want classrooms back in business by August. In fact, the president's even threatening to withhold money from states that don't reopen on his timetable. Congresswoman Debbie McCarcel Powell says that puts kids, teachers, and school staff at risk. I have an 11-year-old, a 15-year-old, and it is one of the most complicated questions that we are facing uh, as leaders and also the superintendent here of Miami-Dade public county school, what he has said is that the way that things are looking right now currently in Miami-Dade uh, County, as we see the rise in cases over 20% positivity rate, it's a very dangerous proposition to open schools because it's not just the children that need to be going to school, but it's all the teachers, the administrators. Um, parents are not feeling comfortable to send their kids to school. It's a necessity. We do know that for their social and emotional learning, it is extremely important for kids to be able to socialize with one another, to be able to get that instruction in their classroom. But at this point, because of the lack of leadership, because of the incompetence of our uh, county leader here, the mayor and the governor, we are in a situation where it may be too dangerous to open schools in August. So one of the, the things that we have been discussing is possibly pushing that date start a little further into September. For Mayor Suarez, the whole issue of reopening schools is personal. His mom is an elementary school teacher. Of course, uh, you know, of course I worry about her safety. And I think, uh, you know, children can be recipients and transmitters. Of, of the virus. There's nothing that indicates to me, and we have some children that are hospitalized right now in our hospital system. We actually had a child that died recently as well, um, an 11 year old. So it, there's no doubt that uh, it, it poses some level of risk. I know uh, from my understanding, because our superintendent and our school system is separate from, from the city and some cities integrated like in New York, uh, and I believe maybe in a, uh, San Francisco. Um, so there, there are areas where it's integrated and ours it's separate. Uh, but my understanding is that there, is, the way it's going to work is there, there's going to be options that the parents have, and the parents will have the option of, of teaching their kids through a virtual program, sort of how we ended the year last year. I can tell you, I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but I can, you know, I'm, I'm sure my wife, uh, who makes many of those decisions in our household, is, gonna, is going to be very um, concerned about sending our son, who's six years old, uh, to school. 
Um, so, you know, and I'm concerned, obviously, for my mother, like you said. Uh, and, you know, and it's, it's uh, you know, expecting a six-year-old to wear a mask, you know, while they're at school. I don't know how realistic uh, that is sometimes because six-year-olds are six-year-olds. You know, I also have a two-year-old. And, you know, sometimes she wears a mask, but I would say it's very, very difficult to get her uh, to wear it. Mayor Suarez was interviewed by Politico. Many thanks and a tip of the hat to their Tallahassee team, including Matt Dixon and Gary Finout. Congresswoman McCarcel Powell was a guest on MSNBC, where she was also asked about the wisdom of bringing the Republican National Convention to Jacksonville during a pandemic. What we have seen from this president, and unfortunately now the governor, is that they have abandoned their responsibility of protecting American lives. The governor has put the uh, Floridian lives in danger. And in the situation that we're in here in the state of Florida, we should not be having any large gathering indoors. Um, the president only cares about his political campaign of scoring political points. You know, he's coming to Miami-Dade County at a moment when we have to be laser focused on containing the spread of virus. He's taking away resources from Miami-Dade County because he wants to come and have another political visit into the state of Florida. All he's thinking about is his re-election campaign and what he needs to be thinking about is protecting American lives. And I think it's extremely dangerous and ruthless for this governor to even continue to discuss the idea of having an indoor rally for President Donald Trump here in Jacksonville. Speaking of the RNC, Donald Trump now says he'll be very flexible when asked if Florida's COVID spike could affect his desire for a big nominating convention next month in Jacksonville. GOP leaders decided to move the marquee events, like the president's nomination speech, from Charlotte to Jacksonville because the governor of North Carolina would not guarantee that social distancing rules would be lifted before the convention. What's that old saying about out of the frying pan, into the fire? Former Governor Wayne Mixon has died at the age of 98 at his home in Tallahassee. He was a little-known farmer and state representative from northwest Florida back in 1978 when Bob Graham chose him as his running mate to balance the ticket, a Dade County liberal, a panhandle conservative. Well, Graham won, and Mixon spent eight years as lieutenant governor. He also spent three days as governor because Graham had to resign from his state office a few days early when he was sworn into the U.S. Senate in 1987. As Graham was leaving office, I produced a series of reports on his administration called The Graham Years. And for fun, I did a mini-series called The Mixon Minutes. His governorship was brief, but Mixon told me he was proud to say he was the only governor who did not raise taxes while he was in office. The official biography says he wanted to be known as the governor who did the least damage to Florida. Mixon is survived by Margie Grace, his wife of 72 years. Goodbye, old friend. You had a terrific run. Next up on Sunrise, we remember a shameful chapter in Florida's history, because those who don't remember the past are condemned to repeat it. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. The Florida Hospital Association has released the OPEN Plan, designed to allow Florida's safe resumption of elective surgeries and procedures. OPEN stands for O, observe the COVID-19 rate of community occurrence. P, prevent transmission. E, establish the process to restore elective surgeries and procedures. And N, network with all healthcare providers. You can read the OPEN Plan today at FHA.org. Welcome back to Sunrise. State Senator Randolph Bracey of Orlando and Representative Geraldine Thompson of Windermere held a press conference in Ocoee Wednesday to announce part of State Road 438 will now be known as the Julius Perry Memorial Highway. 
Perry was killed by a white mob during the 1920 Ocoee Massacre, which is a mystery to most Floridians. It's one of the most embarrassing racial secrets hidden away in our state's collective closet, like the Rosewood Massacre, the Groveland Four, and the Axe Handle Sunday in Jacksonville. That's why Senator Bracey fought so hard during the 2020 legislative session to pass a bill honoring Perry and ordering the state to teach our kids about the massacre. We take you back to the state Senate on March 5th as Bracey's bill hit the floor. The Okoe Election Day Massacre is still to this day the bloodiest day in modern American political history. On the presidential election in 1920, it is estimated that up to 60 African Americans were killed in Okoe, Florida, a place where I currently live. A man named July Perry, a wealthy African American in 1920, organized the black community of about 250 residents to vote in the presidential election in 1920. For his organizing efforts, July Perry was lynched by a mob, the African American section of Okoe was burned to the ground, and the other African American residents were either killed or forced to flee for their lives. Our state government played a pivotal role in this massacre. They deputized the mob. The state courts conspired to transfer to the members of the mob the remaining property of the black residents that were forced to leave. And finally, there was no proper state investigation. What this bill does, it directs the Commissioner of Education's African American History Task Force to examine ways in which the history of Okoe violence can be taught in our schools. It provides ways for the Secretary of State to determine how the Museum of Florida History and other state museums can propagate the history of Okoe violence and to seek such history's inclusion in the National Museum of African American History and Culture of the Smithsonian Institution. The bill directs the Secretary of Environmental Protection to assess if any state park may be named in recognition of any victim of the Okoe violence. And last, the bill encourages school boards to consider naming facilities in recognition of victims of the Okoe violence. Other questions? Questions on the bill? Senator Powell from the 30th. Thank you, Mr. President. And Senator Bracey, thank you for bringing this bill forward because uh, prior to this information that you brought to us in appropriations, I didn't know anything about this uh, particular incident. My question is, is there something just perspective that you uh, anticipate after this that there'll be further steps in terms of making sure that things are implemented and um, more information is, is given out with regard to the Okoe massacre? Senator Bracey. Thank you, Mr. Powell. Excuse me, Senator Powell. I have not <laughs> thought about what we do uh, after this bill is passed. Uh, you know, this is the 100th year anniversary of this massacre, and so I, I thought that what's in this bill is appropriate to, to have the history of what happened in Okoe to be taught. My hope is that there is some possible scholarship money to give to the descendants of the massacre, but that is not a part of this bill at this point. But we'll see what we do going forward. Senator from the 19th, Senator Roussan, in questions. Senator, thank you for bringing this good bill forward. As legislators across this country are erecting more barriers to prevent people from voting, why do you think it's important that we know the history of the struggle of a people who want the right to vote? Why do you think it's important that that history be told? Senator Bracey. 
I think if we don't know our history, we're doomed to repeat it. And so I, I think it's important that we talk about the history of voter suppression, not just in this country, but specifically in Florida. Um, Florida has a terrible history of, of voter suppression. Florida has the highest incidences of, of, of lynchings of any state per capita. And so I think it's important that we know our history so that uh, we can move forward together in the proper way. Bracey's original bill included reparations for the families that had their land stolen by members of the white mob with the help of local officials. But the senator says he took that out after getting signals from top Republicans that the measure would not pass if it included compensation. Once that was removed, it was approved unanimously, proving once again that talk is cheap in Florida politics. Your calendar of events starts with members of the Volusia County Legislative Delegation discussing the 2020 session during an online breakfast hosted by the Daytona Regional Chamber of Commerce at 8. The South Florida Water Management District Governing Board holds an online meeting at 9. The Florida Board of Massage Therapy meets by conference call at 9. The North Florida College Board of Trustees holds a workshop at 10 in Madison. The Supreme Court releases weekly opinions at 11. The Florida Department of Environmental Protection will hold an online workshop at 1 to present draft rules for consumptive use permits in the Central Florida Water Initiative. And the Florida Department of Agriculture Hemp Advisory Committee meets by conference call at 4. Finally today, we check in with a Florida church that was raided by the feds for selling an unproven treatment for COVID-19 that uses industrial disinfectants. The Genesis 2 Church of Health and Healing in Bradenton has been slapped with an injunction by the FDA for selling what they call a miracle mineral solution, and officers had help from the hazmat team when they served the search warrant. Crews found 50 gallons of muriatic acid, the stuff they use to clean pools and driveways, and 8,300 pounds of sodium chloride. That last compound is used as an industrial bleach and disinfectant, and the FDA says you should not ingest it as a medical treatment or for any other reason. Searchers also found 22 gallons of the finished miracle solution. A federal judge ordered all the supplies be confiscated and destroyed. The church must also reach out to everyone who purchased the solution to notify them the product was distributed illegally. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. 